Praying Men of the Bible, session number six, Hezekiah, the Praying King. And um, I think it's interesting how in session five, we talked about Elijah, the prophet. Um, in session three and four, we talked about Abraham, which started the nation of Israel, Moses, which codified and structured the nation of Israel with their laws and ceremonies and all those things. And now we're looking at a prophet and then a, pre, uh, a prophet and then a king um, in this session with Hezekiah. Um, so let's jump right in because we got a lot of scripture on Hezekiah. This is, a, this is a rich study and we've got a lot to do in a little bit of time. So I hope you can listen fast. Reverend Homer Hodge says this, one can form a habit of study until the will seems to be at rest and only the intellect is engaged, the will having retired altogether from exercise. This is not true of real praying. If the affections are laggard, cold, indifferent, if the intellect is furnishing no material to clothe the petition with imagery and fervor, the prayer is a mere vaporing of intellectual exercise, nothing being accomplished worthwhile. What is he trying to say? Well, I believe my interpretation in modern English um, from this pastor from 100 years ago or so, I believe he's trying to say that if we're not praying with all that we are, if it is just an intellectual exercise or it's a nod of the head to God or if it's uh, just a fulfillment of a religious duty or ritual, then we're missing the whole point of prayer. Prayer is intimate, intentional, and deliberate communication with our Creator, the God who is God over all. He created us because He wants to have a relationship with us. And so if you just give intellectual assent to somebody who says that you're their friend, they're not going to feel very loved, cared for, and they're not going to feel like you're connecting with them as best you can. God's the same way. We need to give Him our best and give him our all. And that's what Reverend Hodge was trying to say. Tonight we're looking at Hezekiah. And if you want to look at the story of his life, you can do so by reading 2 Kings chapters 18 to 20, 2 Chronicles chapters 28 to 32, and even Isaiah 36 to 39. The central truth, I believe, of Hezekiah's life in regards to prayer unfolds this way. A life of holiness... And utter dependence on God make room for the miraculous. Let me say that again. A life of holiness and utter dependence on God makes room for the miraculous. So who was Hezekiah? Well, he was a statesman. He was a general, a poet, a religious reformer. He had genius, strength, wisdom, and holiness. And what's most surprising about Hezekiah was his bent toward holiness. Why? Because of his past because of who raised him and what he was exposed to in his childhood. He came from generations of father, grandfather, and great-grandfather of worldliness, half-heartedness, and utter apostasy. His home life and surroundings were far from being favorable to godliness and faith in God. One thing was to his favor, however, and that was his relationship with the prophet Isaiah, who became his friend and counselor when he assumed the throne of Judah. 2 Kings 18, 1 through 8 says, In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. 
He was 25 years old when he became king. Can you imagine becoming the king of a nation at 25? And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Underline that in your Bible or in your notes. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Why is this important? Because this is the hallmark and significance of Hezekiah's life. He did what was right, not in his own eyes, but in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David did. But his father was not David. His father was Ahaz. No, his father was David, his predecessor. And David was heart, a man whose heart was after God. And so that's why it describes him as the father of David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. So who was Hezekiah? He was king of Judah for 29 years, between 724 and 695 B.C., who became king at age 25. He cleansed and reopened the temple. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. We see that in 2 Chronicles chapter 30. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, 2 Kings 18.3. Oh, that we could grab that for ourselves. Do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. So let's look at three instances in Scripture where the prayer of Hezekiah made an incalculable difference. Here's the first one. Hezekiah celebrates the Passover. Like I said, this is a mouthful of scripture, so listen fast. 2 Chronicles 30, 1 through 27. Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. The king and his officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. They had not been able to celebrate it at the regular time because not enough priests had consecrated themselves and the people had not assembled in Jerusalem. You see, Moses had set all this up and they weren't following it. They were doing their own thing. The plan seemed right both to the king and to the whole assembly. They decided to send a proclamation throughout Israel from Beersheba to Dan, calling the people to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. It had not been celebrated in large numbers according to what was written. Verse 6, at the king's command, couriers went throughout Israel and Judah with letters from the king and from his officials, which read, people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to you who are left, who have escaped from the land of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your parents and your fellow Israelites who were unfaithful to the Lord, the God of their ancestors, so that he made them an object of horror, as you see. Do not be stiff-necked as your ancestors were. Submit to the Lord. 
Come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever. Serve the Lord your God so that his fierce anger will turn away from you. If you return to the Lord, then your fellow Israelites and your children will be shown compassion by their captors and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. The couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh, as far as Zebulun, but people scorned and ridiculed them. Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered, following the word of the Lord. A very large crowd of people assembled in Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread in the second month. They removed the altars in Jerusalem and cleared away the incense and threw them into the Kidron Valley. That was all the stuff they were doing with other gods. They had to get rid of it. They had to clean house. They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and the Levites were ashamed and consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to the temple of the Lord. Then they took up their regular positions as prescribed in the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests splashed against the altar the blood handed to them by the Levites. Since many in the crowd had not consecrated themselves, the Levites had to kill the Passover lamb for all those who were not ceremoniously clean and could not consecrate their lambs to the Lord. Verse 18, here's the key. Although most of the many people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written they should have been put into death but hezekiah prayed for them saying may the lord who is good pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking god the lord the god of their ancestors even if they are not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary verse 20 and the lord heard hezekiah and healed the people this king knew the importance of being clean, but he also knew the importance of returning back to God. And this was a momentous occasion when word was sent out and they came back and said, okay, we want to start over. We want to start over with God and we want to worship him the way that he desires to be worshiped and the way he designed for us to worship him. And so understanding that and being a man like David, his father, he had a heart after God so he knew all he had to do was talk to the Father. And he prayed and asked God to heal the people and cleanse them. And the Lord honored his prayer. That is a powerful, powerful sentence. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. That is so powerful. It was just because he asked. And it was because the heart was in the right place. Yes, we are to follow the prescriptions. Yes, we are to follow the laws. Yes, we are to understand the why behind the what. But God is always looking at the heart of man. And he will not turn anyone away that is pressing in. Think about the woman with the issue of blood. I know we're not talking about that tonight. But Jesus, this woman was unclean and had been unclean for decades. And yet she pressed in to touch the Savior and he healed her. Virtue went out of him and he healed her. This is the heart of compassion our Father has towards us. Even though there are rules, even though there are lines 
that we draw in the sand, even though there are principles we must follow, his heart is for our heart to pursue him fully. We've got to remember that, church. So Hezekiah celebrates the Passover. Then we also see Hezekiah <clears throat> when Sennacherib threatens Jerusalem to come in and, and take over and um, besiege the city. And I, I really can't read all of this tonight, but I do want to read this one portion that's in your notes found in 2 Kings 19, 14 to 19. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. This is basically a, a letter of threat saying this is what we're coming to do. So get ready. So he read the letter. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. This is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. He could have done a number of other responses. He could have cursed. He could have thrown the letter down. He could have wailed and screamed. He could have run to his officials and said, what are we going to do in a panic? But his first response, then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread that letter out before the Lord. And it says in verse 15, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not good gods but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. This is a king who knows where to go when there's trouble. He didn't go to his army. He didn't go to his generals. He went to the Lord God Most High. And he said, we are following you. You are our general. You are our leader. And we want to know what you have for us. And I love how <laughs> the Lord kicked butt and took names. I love it. If you read the rest of that passage, I mean, the, the armies were utterly destroyed and sent with their tail between their legs. And I, I, love, I love the compassion that God had on Hezekiah's heart. And I love the fact that Hezekiah came to him first. I, I'm going to tell you a story about that in just a moment. That's why I'm really emotional about that point. Number three, Hezekiah's illness. 2 Kings 20, verse 2. We see that Isaiah brings a word to Hezekiah that, He's not going to live much longer. And um, he said, he, you're, not, you're going to die and you're not going to recover. But we see Hezekiah's response. Once again, this loving God that he served and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't curse the Lord. He didn't accuse the Lord falsely. What did he do? 2 Kings 20 verse 2, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. 
Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly because he knew his life was in the Lord's hands. And he knew that the Lord knew if his prayer was true or false. And he was betting on the fact that God knew his heart and knew that it was true. And what do we find out? God extends his life by 15 years. He gives Isaiah wisdom to get a poultice of figs or medicine, if you will, and place it on the boil that is sucking the very life out of him. And he was healed and he was able to have an heir because that was part of the problem. He didn't have an heir to his throne. And he knew that if he was dead, that his name and his kingdom would end. And the Lord gave grace and mercy So those three times when Hezekiah prayed, God moved on his behalf. So how was prayer a priority of Hezekiah's life? Very simply, number one, prayer was Hezekiah's first response and not his last resort. Every instance we see, he goes straight to the Lord. He goes straight to the temple. He he turns to the wall and begins to pray because he had an intimate relationship with the God of all gods and the King of all kings. Number two, Hezekiah knew the value of crying out to God. Uh, I I think we've lost that art as believers. And and I don't mean we do it for show. In fact, I would encourage you to do it privately or people might think you're mad or crazy. But learn to cry out to the Lord because not only are you communicating with him, but you're expressing the depths of your frustration and your anger and your heart. We, We tend to keep a lid on things. And, I, and the Lord's a big boy. He can handle our emotions. So I just want to encourage you to learn how to cry out to the Lord because there's power in that. There's power in the Lord hearing us cry out to him. I'll never forget we were in a, an elder meeting many years ago uh, with Pastor Stephen and the other pastors and our elders. And Pastor did a teaching on crying out to God. And he said, I'm, I'm going to do something a little um, unordinary, I'm going to ask you for the next five to ten minutes that we just cry out to the Lord. Now, we weren't in a hotel somewhere. We were in a a private, you know, like an Airbnb type situation. So we had our own space. And um, so for the next five to ten minutes, we were up against a challenge and we just cried out to the Lord. And it was the most freeing, exhilarating, power-packed five to ten minutes of prayer I've ever been a part of. Because we just we let go of the hindrances that would keep us, you know, proper men, you know, in our composure. And we just cried out to the Lord and the Lord answered us, answered us, gave us wisdom in that situation. And you see where we're at today because of moments like that through the last 25 years of God's hand being upon us. It's been such an awesome, awesome thrill to see him work. But we must learn the value of crying out to God as Hezekiah did. What are the Christian life lessons? Number one, we must sometimes take action with our praying when facing difficult and overwhelming circumstances. What does that mean? It's more than just talking our prayer. It's acting out our prayer. Um, I'll give you a for instance. I was in a a fender bender downtown and I'm not going to give you much of the details, but I mean, it was there was no damage to either vehicle, Uh, had pictures and all that to prove it. Uh, my, my calf, I think, got the most hurt because I was slammed on the brakes. It was a um, sunny day, and then it rained all of a sudden. 
And so the roads were slick because of the oil and the quick rain. And um, I just slid in the back of another car, but I just tapped. I mean, it was just a tap of the bumper. Again, I just couldn't believe it. But I, I went and found a police officer. We pulled over to the side. I, I said, would you come and do a report? Blah, blah, blah. I went through the whole thing and um, talked to the driver, made sure he was okay, made sure his son was okay. He recognized me from Christian Life Church. They had been here years ago. And so we got to talking and about the end of our talk, um, he said, Pastor, my neck's starting to hurt. Would you please pray for me? And so I prayed for him and I didn't think anything about it. And um, I get a letter about a month later and it's from a lawyer and they're suing me for the extent of my policy. And I'd never been sued. I didn't know what a lawsuit was. I'm, I'm a dad. I've got four kids. I'm a pastor. My wife homeschools our kids. I'm, I'm like, what do we do? And the spirit of a living God reminded me of this passage when Hezekiah brought Sennacherib's letter into the temple. And so I brought that letter right up here and I found Pastor Stephen and we got oil. I told him the situation. We prayed over that thing. I didn't know for three years what was going to happen. So I, everything I'm doing in life, that's in the back file. What's going to happen with that lawsuit? What's going to happen? I mean, I had insurance. It wasn't that I was underinsured or not insured, but they had to hire an attorney to represent me in court. I had to give a deposition. They subpoenaed my phone records to make sure I wasn't texting while driving. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. But, but we, I said, Lord, I've laid it out before you, and I'm trusting you. So three years go by, and I finally get a letter that says the case has been settled, but no details. So I called, and I said, what, what happened? What was going on? And they said, the, the individual that I rear-ended, and yes, it was my fault, and I knew the accident was my fault, even though it was a flash flood and a hydroplaning incident, I wasn't speeding or driving recklessly, and I went to seek an officer to get the report because I knew when you rear-end somebody, it's your fault. But this individual had gotten hurt at a job somewhere, and the job was not paying for his back surgery. So he got a lawyer to try to make this car accident pay for his back surgery, and all of that came out without me having to be at court or any of that stuff. And the lawyer said, we settled out of court for way less than what the uh, limits of your policy were. And, and I didn't know this because I'm, I'm just young and stupid, I guess, at the time. But if they sue you above your policy limits, you owe whatever your policy doesn't cover. So I would highly recommend a $20 a month umbrella policy. If you don't know what that is, call your insurance agent and figure that out. That's money well spent. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about that. And we might take that out of the video. That's just for you. But, but I had to go through that. But I knew that once we prayed over it, I knew the Lord's going to take care of it. And sure enough, he did. So sometimes we have to take action with our prayers. And we have to cry out to God and say, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what mess I'm in. You do, and you can take care of me. And he did. So I just wanted to share that testimony with you. Number two, everything we contend for in prayer must ultimately be for God's glory to be displayed. 
This is why God does miraculous things in our lives. It's not just for us to say, I got a miracle. No, it's for us to say, look at what my God can do. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. If he loves me this much, he can love you this much. If you'll give your life to him. Everything we contend for in prayer must ultimately be for God's glory to be displayed. And then finally, number three, no matter, I love this part, no matter your checkered past or ungodly upbringing or heritage, Hezekiah had a father, grandfather, and great-grandfather that were wicked kings. He grew up in that mess. He saw it. He saw the fruit of it. So no matter what your past, God will use those who pursue relationship with him to redeem their past and to help them make a difference in the present and for future generations. That is the God we serve. It doesn't matter where you come from. It matters where he's taking you. It's about destiny. It's about his purposes for your life and how he wants to work in and through you and to use you for his glory. So I just want to encourage you in that tonight. Remember the central truth of tonight's message on Hezekiah. A life of holiness and utter dependence on God makes room for the miraculous. We see that in those three instances of Hezekiah's life. And I believe we're going to see it in our lives as we live wholly before him and as we utterly depend on him. Amen. Amen.